Welcome to another Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at dmelt 57 as long as it's still there. Our very own Eric from Chicago, Eric Eggenheimer, is also with me on this episode. Uh, with the draft and free agency and pretty much all other NHL activity firmly in our review mirrors, uh, we're getting back to our Friday shows now where we sit and do some longer discussions with, uh, with guests in and around the hockey world. And this week we've got Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, who's now been covering the Blackhawks for about a decade as a beat reporter. Um, not a ton of Blackhawks-specific discussion in here, although you may be surprised to learn we talk about Connor Bedard a little bit. Uh, it's more about the, the media landscape as a whole, and then we kind of zero in on the, the Blackhawks beat itself, and I think you might get a little bit of insight into the what it's like, what that media scene is like covering the Blackhawks, and we get a little deeper into the kind of the philosophies that guide the stories and everything else that these various media outlets produce, not only the athletic but our side as well um we've got more of these interviews coming for you hopefully every friday for the rest of the off season we've got a few interviews lined up already so they should keep coming your way uh once every week and hopefully we keep doing these shows because if we have to do any other shows that probably means that some news broke and the only news that happens on this part of the hockey calendar is bad news so fingers crossed for none of that uh we'll keep doing these friday shows through the rest of the summer as we uh keep an eye out towards training camp as it approaches in September. But for now, thanks to Mark for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. And let's get to the interview. Mark Lazarus is here with us on the Friday show here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Mark, thanks for coming out. How's everything going today? Oh, not bad, Dave. How are you doing? Great, great. Uh, also, Eric Eggenheimer is with us uh, joining this interview here. And before we do anything else, we have to ask, how's Eli? Uh, he is sleeping right now because he got <laughs> his shots today. I took him to the vet and he is a very sleepy little boy right now. So uh, it should be nice and quiet without him barking at everybody. Well, okay, that's good. I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be uh, interrupting our podcast. I don't know. I assume most people listening to this will follow you on Twitter, but if they don't know, uh, Mark and his if family. If they do, just my apologies in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's we, we wanted to get even more of your opinions. That's why you're here. Twitter just wasn't enough for us. Uh, um, yeah, Eli, Eli's doing well. He's, he's This is his second full day with us. Uh, we adopted him just uh, from uh, the pause in Tinley Park, and uh, he's, he's he's he is obnoxiously cute. Yeah, that's that's a good word, good word for it. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to more updates throughout the course of the season. Um, before we get there, there were some topics in general that uh, we want to talk about kind of the journalism landscape as a whole. But for you in particular, after the last few seasons of watching what you and everyone else that's watched the Blackhawks have had to deal with the last few seasons, um, how what's the what's the uh, different feeling you have now knowing that? you know, that, that Connor kids on his way to Chicago next season. Well, it's just, I mean, like, like the Blackhawks are going to be terrible this year, right? I mean, they're going to be just <laughs> maybe even worse than last year. Look at this roster, but it almost doesn't matter now, you yeah. know, after all these, you know, I know, I know no fan base in the world feels bad for Chicago for any number of reasons. Right. But, right. Uh, the fact is the last few years have been pretty bleak and especially last year was just utterly pointless you know, when you're, when you build the team trying to lose. So it's been hard to get excited about anything as a fan. It's been hard to get excited as a writer. It's been hard to get excited about writing anything. Uh, and then everything's different now. You know, if, if they finished 
third in the in the in the draft in the lottery if and in, in the, they you know picked Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli we're not nobody, nobody's like really over the moon right now but you know the Hawks fans now are so excited and for good reason and as writers you know me and Scott Powers and everyone else on the beat we're all looking forward to having something that people care about I mean more than anything like like you know I don't care if the Blackhawks win or lose I've you know right. I don't have an emotional investment in this team I'm not a fan I didn't grow up in Chicago it's my job but there's no doubt about it that this job's more fun when people actually want to read what you're writing about. You know, that's yeah. what I want. I want people to care. And it was really fun my first few years on the beat when everybody cared all the time because the Hawks were so good and they were so fun and they had big personalities. And, uh, you know, I, as a writer, I was spoiled. So I'm excited just to have people care again. I'm excited that you're excited, basically, is the way I look <laughs> at it. And I think it's good for everyone. And, you know, they might win fewer games this year than they did last year. And nobody's going to really be upset about that as long as Connor Bedard scores 30 goals, right? Right. O- only 30? He's 17 years old. <laughs> He'll be 18 by then. He'll be 18 God, by then. You know, I, 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 feel like, I feel like such a wet blanket because I keep harping yeah. on these ridiculous expectations yeah. where he basically like, – the thing I keep saying is like, you know, at the draft, I kept talking to people, you know, other writers and scouts and you know some assistant GMs and stuff, and I kept asking everyone the same question. If Connor Bedard has Patrick Kane's career, is he a failure? And they all said basically yes. Yes, yeah. Patrick Kane is the greatest American (laughs) hockey player that's ever lived. Now, if he wins three cups, people will be fine with it. I'm sure that. But like statistically speaking, if he's Patrick Kane, he is nowhere near the expectations set on him. He has to be Connor McDavid. He has to be Sidney Crosby. And that is just he he very well might do it, but it's so unfair to put that on a 17-year-old. That's that's mind-boggling in that context of like he has to be better than Patrick Kane, like significantly better. <laughs> Patrick Kane was a point a game player. I think like one time in his first seven seasons. Oh yeah. None are great. Now I'm worried. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even to be worried. Like the kid is like, he's like, his can't miss yeah. as they come. Like he's not going to be bad. He's not going to be a bust, but it's going to be almost impossible to live up to this hype. And, and like, as uh, the like re- relative to the hype and everything, like I'm pretty sure he can't sign an NHL contract for another week or so whenever he turns 18, because he's not eligible. I think you have to be 18 years old to be eligible to sign an NHL contract. It's, I believe it's, 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 I think people don't even, they take this into consideration how young he is, even by draft prospect standards. Like he's almost a full year younger than some of the other people that were drafted. So, I mean, this is adopting a two month old puppy, not a one, not a one year old (laughs) adult, right? Like we went to that shelter looking to adopt an adult because puppies are difficult. But then all of a sudden you find the puppy. It's like, oh, I got to have that puppy. But now, you know, we're up at three in the morning because the puppy is, you know, barking and freaking out. So, like, there's going to be growing pains even for one of a, a generational prospect. So, I mean, he is a kid. He is a ch- literal child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just so worth keeping in mind and having some perspective. He's going to be great. Yeah. I don't mean to be a wet blanket. I just want everyone to, like, you know, take a deep breath and understand <laughs> that, you know, he might not be a 120-point guy this year. Right, right. And hell, he might be. I don't know. He, he might be that good. Who knows? Yeah. No, and that's interesting that you put it like that. Yeah, looking at the if, is he, if he matched Patrick Kane, that's, I haven't thought about it that way. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty Patrick Kane was the best player in hockey exactly one time. Yeah. Yeah. 2015 16. That's not good enough right now for what this kid is supposed to be. Um, so you said you're not emotionally invested in the games. Were you emotionally invested in the lottery results at all? Did you watch it? Did you kind of freak out like we did? Um, you know, it's funny uh, you asked that because, like, you know, Scott and I talked about that. Like, I, we, I, 
no, not emotionally invested, but it was good for business if Connor Bedard came to Ab- Chicago. Yes. There's just no two ways around that, right? Like, it's good for Scott. It's good for me. It's good for the athletic. If he went to Arizona or Anaheim, it's bad for a lot of people. It's bad for the NHL. It's bad for me. It's bad for Scott. Um, we, I, I think, I think our reaction, we were at the United center, you know, you know, waiting to talk to Kyle. And when, when the result came down, we just, I just kind of laughed. Like I, like I wasn't running around and fist pumping and screaming into the camera or anything like that. It was, <laughs> it was, it was just, it was funny. Cause it's just like, there was such a part of me that didn't want, like honestly, that didn't want the Blackhawks to win. Cause I don't want pure tanking to be rewarded. Yes. And they were so <laughs> rewarded for the most grotesque season ever put out there where they were just so blatantly trying to lose. Like it was just kind of gross. And I didn't, you know, so I was kind of torn on it where I was like, you know, Fantilli would be good. You know, Fan- he's going to be a really good player. He hasn't been written about to death the way Bedard has. I was like, I hope they get Fantilli. They get number two. I think that'd be cool for us. And the Bedard thing seemed like such a long shot, even at the third best odds. It was like, what, 10% or whatever. So we, we hadn't really entered, like, we didn't really have a plan for it to be Bedard. All of a sudden, Scott and I had to write like the big national story and we had this, that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they want a million things. The New York Times, let me tell you, they love them some Connor Bedard. You put Connor Bedard <laughs> in the headline and that story is going to get read. So yeah. it was all good. It's all like positive stuff. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit, we have a lot more work to do this summer now. Um, you know, it changes everything. It changes everything for the Blackhawks. It changes everything for people who cover the Blackhawks. It changes everything for Blackhawks fans. So. Um, I, I know I wasn't celebrating. I was more bemused by it because I was thinking just how much it was going to piss off the rest of the hockey world. Um, mm. and it did. Oh, it did. Yeah, <laughs> and, it and I was looking forward did. to all the conspiracy theories and all that fun stuff that the internet just, uh, you know, exacerbates. But, uh, no, it, it was, it was, it was a strange thing. I was like kind of just like watching it from the outside, it felt like. And I thought it was genuinely funny. And then I thought it was, oh, this is good for us. Then I thought, oh, this is a lot of work. <laughs> So I, I think kind of in the vein of emotional investment in sports, I think this is the one of the big topics I wanted to talk to you about because you've been uh, – I think you probably have the more traditional media route in that you started with suburban newspapers. You were Then you covered Notre Dame for a while and worked your way up from high school sports all the way up to the pros in a coverage beat reporter sense. And it feels like that that route is kind of dwindling away with um, the newspaper, yeah. the state of the newspaper industry. And I think in the wake of the absence of um, the beat reporters, even on some of the national levels, like there's a lot of outlets popping up like ours where like I, I've never tried to, I've never tried to say that we're journalists in, in this role at second city hockey. Uh, I don't even like to use the word cover in response to the team, because while we did, we, uh, the credential thing is something we've been offered and we've used it a few times, but it's an ongoing thing at our website about whether or not we're going to do it. But we have an emotional investment in this team. And I think there's people who are showing up in locker rooms across all sports at all levels now who have that emotional investment and they're covering the teams in a professional sense. And I don't think that's the way it has always been. I think it's becoming more and more commonplace now. Is that something you're seeing? And as, as someone who is the more traditional unbiased journalist in the room, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my path doesn't really exist anymore, right? I mean, I worked at a at two small suburban papers and kind of worked my way up the food chain and didn't get this job until I was 32 years old. That's not how it works now. Either you walk right into it because they're, you know, an outlet's hiring cheap, right? Because a 23-year-old is going to cost a lot less than a 32-year-old is. And uh, some of these small papers don't even exist anymore. They don't, they're not seven days a week. They don't cover the kind of things that that we used to cover. 
Um, it's a lot harder to, to kind of work your way up. So a lot of people come in non-traditional routes where they come from websites or they walk straight into, you know, there's plenty like look at Ben Pope, who's, you know, mm-hmm. he has my old job. He does a great job for the Sun-Times, but he, you know, he, he was an intern at the Sun-Times. And then all of a sudden he went straight from that to the beat. Like that's not how it used to work. Um, but you know, you can do that. It happens. It ha- and people that I went to college with walked right into major beats. I mean, if you have the talent and the it's talent and opportunity, right? So, I mean, there's never really been like a straightforward way of doing this. Um, but it is different now. There's no doubt. I, I, I remember, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We're talking what, six, seven, eight years ago where Greg Wyshynski couldn't get credentialed by the Blackhawks because mm-hmm. they didn't, he was at Yahoo and the Blackhawks didn't credential websites like any website. Like yeah. not just, you know, a fan blog or, or whatever you want to call it. They didn't credential websites. So Greg Wachinski is one of the more prominent voices in hockey, could only get credentialed for the Stanley Cup final because the NHL takes over credentialing for the final. Right. Now, right. Um, Scott Powers, who covered the team for in several years for ESPN, as long as I had, when he was laid off by ESPN and went to The Athletic, he was like the first employee at The Athletic. The Blackhawks wouldn't credential him. Even even an established <laughs> person they knew well, he couldn't get credentialed that first wow. year. And it wasn't until the next year that he got credentialed because the Blackhawks didn't credential websites. Now the Blackhawks credential every website. Like even like ours. Said, like, <laughs> like yeah, they, they credential you and you know, uh, you know, Tad Bamford's there, the, the CHGO guys are all there, and and they're putting in the work. They're there every day. They're in the locker room, they're asking questions. Like, I, I don't begrudge anyone being in that room. Um, as long as you're there and you're taking it seriously and you're putting in the work, you know, I'm not a snob about this stuff at all. But what those web and, and I, I, I there's there's I look I'm gonna sound like a pompous douchebag here. There's no way to say this without <laughs> sounding it. But what what those people are doing is different than what I'm doing, than what Ben is doing, than you know what uh, Phil Thompson at the Tribune is doing, than mm-hmm. what John Dietz at the Daily Herald does, and even even Charlie Romeliotis, who's you know you know he, his his website is technically owned by the Blackhawks, at least part owned by the Blackhawks because it's NBC Sports Chicago. But mm-hmm. he treats it like you know he's a he's a journalist he's out there and he's doing the work. But what what these websites coming in and being in the room does is it 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 certainly crowds it right like you, it's a little harder to get a one on one with a guy you want because there's twice as many people in the room. Um, yeah. But that's 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 fine. Like there there were just as many people in the room back when the Blackhawks were good because there'd be a dozen Canadians in there on a regular given day. <laughs> so yeah. I I don't think anyone begrudges anyone being in the room as long as you take it seriously like. Like if somebody walked into the room wearing a goddamn Blackhawks jersey or something, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> I'm the chapter chair of the PHWA, and I would lose my goddamn mind if I saw someone getting an autograph in there or, you know, wearing a Blackhawks hat or something in the room. You can't do that. Like there's lines where it would not be acceptable. But everyone who's been, you know, brought into the room in the last, you know, I guess it really started the very, very end of the season before this past one. Um, mm-hmm. The CHGO guys, I think, were the first ones kind of brought in. Um, they, they do it professionally. They're putting in the work. Like they're at practice more than I am probably because Scott and I split them up. So I, I don't, but anyone who's willing to put in the work, whether it's tab or, or Jay or Greg or Mario or, or you guys, anyone who's willing to put, you know, covering up, covering hockey practice is monotonous as hell. Like watching these yeah. guys, watching grown men skate in circles for an hour at a time, every single day. Like, it's not like this fun, sexy job all the time that people think it is. It's a job. And, you know, it beats it beats digging ditches, but it's still it's there's a there's a monotony to it during the season. And these guys are putting in the effort and God help them. Like the the CHGO guys podcasting five times a day on a team that was just completely pointless and then doing it in the summer, too. They are doing God's work. Like I couldn't do that. (laughs) I, I have all the respect in the world for what those guys are doing because I couldn't do that. Now, they're doing something different. They do less writing and they do more audio. 
Um, uh-huh. You know, they're not like direct competitors with us. They're filling a different niche. So I don't think there's any jealousy or any resentment or anything like that. Like there's room for it's a big 10. It's hockey. And I, 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 I want as many entry points for hockey fans as there can be. And if that's going to be audio with more of a fan tinge to it, go nuts. That's great. Anyone that brings someone into the tent and makes the hockey world a bigger place, that's it's a rising tide lifting all boats, right? That's more people that will potentially someday, if they get it, you know, will sign, subscribe to The Athletic or they'll listen to our podcast or however you want to do it. Like, like it's, it's, it's a good thing as long as everyone's taking it seriously and doing the job right, then I think there is room for that. I think I... I'll be honest. I think there was some pushback mentally for me and, and some of the other more, whatever you call them, mainstream legacy, whatever the horrible, you know, derisional, <laughs> derisive term Tr- you use traditional for old, or... old people like me now. Yeah. Um, like at first I was like, wait, you're going to credential blogs. You're going to credential, you know, fans. Like I yeah. was not cool with it at first, but you know, they're, then I see them every day putting in the work and I don't, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good with it. Like they, they belong in there. And as long as they're taking it seriously and they're not, you know, they're keeping their, you know, you know, if you're if you like if you stepped in there, your 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 website, Second City Hockey, is a fan oriented website. Right. Like you don't pretend that you're unbiased when it comes to like you said, you're emotionally invested. As long as that doesn't come out in like a press conference setting where you say like we or something, or you say <laughs> we all know the blues <laughs> oh, suck, man. but you know, as long as as long as you're being professional about it, there's room for everybody. There's, we're all we're all serving. The same audience, but we're all also serving different niches within that audience. And I think it's fine. Let me follow up by asking you then kind of what do you think it is to be gained from going to practice every day? What do you think it is that's so important about doing that work? What does that provide to you that you may not see otherwise? Well, I mean, it depends on on who you are, right? Like if you're the more analytical type where you're someone who does X's and O's and you really you're really getting into the granular minutia of it. Watching a practice every day is huge. Like you're seeing changes on the power play. You're seeing the the different line combinations and how guys are fitting in. You're seeing where this guy's slotting on the PK and how they're playing it. Like you're looking for that kind of stuff. Someone like me, I don't pretend to be a big X's and O's guy. Like I understand what's happening and I see those things. I just don't want to write about them. Like that's not interesting to me. That's not the kind of storytelling I do, right? Like I write features and columns and I try to make things fun and write about like the quirky nature of what it is like to be a professional athlete. Like that's endlessly fascinating to me. So for me, the point of going to practice every day is to be in the room every day. Like I don't like I'm I'm usually screwing around on Twitter during practice and barely paying attention. Cause for me, the point is face to face time with the players and interviews and, you know, just kind of like coming up with story ideas by talking to players. And sometimes if I write something negative or mean or spirited or something, I don't mind mean spirited, but like, you know, pointed, like, I feel it's my obligation to be in the room the next day in case someone wants to call me out on it. Like, I'm not hiding from these guys. So for me, it's the FaceTime. For other people, it's the watching of practice. Uh, for most of us, it's a little of both, I would say. Like, I still, you know, there's plenty of times where I, you know, when the Blackhawks were good, I paid attention to practice. Let's put it that way. But when the like, team like last year where none of those guys were going to be on the team long term, I didn't give a shit who was on the left wing on the third line because it <laughs> didn't matter in the long run. Like, in the yeah. big picture – 11 seasons in, I don't give a shit about that. I honestly don't on a team like that. This year, it's going to be interesting. Like, okay, let's see if there's a long-term right wing for Connor Bedard because Taylor Hall's not here for the long-term, but is Lucas Reichel going to find a way to, 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 to blend in with him? Is Taylor Radish a long-term solution? Like now there's, there's a little more reason. Now that we're past that bottoming out stage and we're to that dead cat bounce, now all of a sudden it's time to start paying attention to this team again because the things that happen on the ice matter now. And that's one of the things that's exciting about this season is if Kevin Korchinski's there, it matters. If Lucas Reichel's on the second line, it matters. If Connor Bedard's there, it matters. 
So um, there's any number of reasons to be there. And it all depends on what your kind of coverage is. For me, mm-hmm. it's mostly talking to players. Like I, I am, a, for lack of a better word, an access journalist in that my stuff is better when I talk to players. Not everybody's that way. Some people are worrying about the, the you know, are more analytics heavy. And, you know, actually getting the players' thoughts doesn't add or detract from their stories. For me, I like getting to know the players and peeling back the curtain. That's what I, that's what I can do for a fan is peel back the curtain. So for me, it's being in the room every day. So I think this piggybacks off a story that I want to say. Does it sound like a big douchebag saying all that stuff? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I I don't think you do. Kind of my natural state. (laughs) This is where I'm going to come across maybe mildly as a grumpy old man, uh, which, (laughs) which is weird because my uh, milieu, come on. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think this piggybacks off of a story that Ben Pope did and, uh, that uh, was he was talking to Luke Richardson and a few of the older players. I think Tyler Johnson was re- uh, quoted in the story about the difference in the younger generation that's in the NHL right now. Basically, anyone like roughly 25 and under and that there's a difference. They just grew up in a different world, mainly because of the advent of the Internet and and cell phones and everything else. And that like there's a lot there's not as much like uh you know, they're, they're going to be sitting in their room playing video games all night, I think was basically the stereotype of it. Um, so you've been covering the NHL for what, at least a decade now, roughly, uh, and, 2013. Yeah, I've done 11 yeah. seasons with the Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as you've been covering not only the Blackhawks, but just the NHL as a whole, have you found it, uh, have you found a transition in the, just the attitudes of players and have they been like either easier or more difficult to talk to because they're, they're more, I guess, more on their phones. I don't know how to, if that's the best way to describe it, but is there a difference in the way athletes are now than they were 10 years ago when you started? They're a little more vanilla for the most part. And there's obviously exceptions. Like, you know, you can't, you can't say that everybody is everything. Uh, there, there are guys in the league that have great personalities, but like, you know, in the social media age in particular, players are a little more wary of what they say. And I, I don't blame them one bit, but it sucks for us. You know, there's not a lot of Adam Burrishes out there just saying whatever the hell they feel like. There's, you know, the 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 way that I mean, I came in. I I started doing this professionally in 2001. I covered the Penguins for a suburban paper for a few years, so that was kind of a taste of it before I went back to local stuff. But um, I hear stories about what it was like to cover the NHL in the 80s, and it's like it's a total. It, it, it's it's not even the same job anymore. Like I won't <laughs> name any names, but someone once told me that they were at a game. This is like in the late 80s. They're at a, early 90s, maybe. They're at a game. They're in the press box. And one of the star players was scratched, a healthy scratch to play a coach's decision. He was pissed about it. So he came over from the other side of the press box, sat next, sat down next to the writer and said, he started just bitching and moaning about it. And the writer said, can I write any of this? And he was, he said, and the, the player says, write down whatever you want. I'll say I said it. Like, there was a level of, which is oh, obviously... Obviously, that's not how journalism works. I don't think the writer actually did that. But the fact that a player would trust a journalist like that, like that's that's gone. Like you can like there would there's not we don't have that kind of relationships with players anymore. We're not in the room long enough. You know, we're in and we're kind of ushered out pretty quick after that. Right. Um, the players, there's so many rooms for them to to hide and to <laughs> not be in the main locker room when we're in there. So you have a very narrow window and sometimes you develop relationships with players and players you can trust. You know, you know, there's a reason that Jonathan Taves when he had something to say about the state of the team, he'd usually say it to me because we had developed that trust over the years. But it takes years to do that. And it's it's a lot harder to do that now than ever, not just because players don't stick around for that, that long, but because they're just so 
defensive. They're, they have, they have walls up because they know that they say that. I mean, think about Max Domi this year. Max Domi made some crack about Columbus and how much more exciting a city Chicago. <laughs> That's was. right. It was funny. There was like five of us in the scrum. I tweeted out the quote and it went ballistic online. Everyone in Columbus is so mad. Like it was clearly a joke, and he was just having like he was laughing when he said it. And, you know, Domi's getting added in every single reply to me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I and I went up to him the next day and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry about that. He's like, I said it. It's like, it's just fine. It's like, you know, there's no problem with that. But but a lot of players aren't like Max Domi where they're not just going to, you know, crack a joke like that. Because is being funny like a normal human being? There's normal human beings. We want to say funny things, right? It's just like it's like the West Wing. Like there was some joy in the in the wit. Like we are like that as people. But hockey players don't think that way because – it'll get misinterpreted online or the people get mad at them or whatever. Like they're just they're They have walls up where they just, that's why they say we're going to get pucks deep and we're going to, you know, we got to get, take the goalie's eyes away from them. And they say the same shit over and over again because they don't want to get, it's not worth the hassle, right? It's just not worth the hassle. If you're a player, it's not worth the hassle of the news cycle. If you say something kind of flippant. So that's what sucks now is these guys are, so much more reluctant to show their personality. I mean, you think of someone like Andrew Shaw, even Andrew Shaw in a one-on-one interview was great. And he would talk shit and he was funny. The second, a second person came into that scrum where someone he didn't know where a camera turned on, he was the worst quote in the history of the Blackhawks. Oh, you know, <laughs> I just love all my teammates and uh, we play for each other real hard out there. Like you just like, like a switch flipped and it sucked as a writer, but, can you blame him? Like, who wants to be on camera saying something stupid? I don't even like doing this. Like, being on the uh, the interview end of a of, of a podcast, I'm like, I'm probably going to say something stupid here that'll get me in trouble. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, is it worth the hassle to do that? So, um, I think that's what's changed more than anything. I don't think it has anything to do with players on their phones or like players okay. are certainly different now. And Luke Richardson is very attuned to that. He's a very forward thinking coach, and the way he he you know his daughter is a teacher and and a high school coach and. You know, the way he, he talked to me about this well, way back when we were in Edmonton several months ago about, you know, you got 25 guys in the room and they all process information differently. And that's not something Mike Keenan would have ever said. <laughs> so it, it's about, you know, tailoring your message to the players and players are more sensitive now and they have therapists and mental skills coaches. And you need to think about you can't just yell and scream and kick a guy anymore. Thank God for that. But it's so players are absolutely different now. They don't go out drinking every night the way like the 2010 Blackhawks did for better yeah. or worse. You know, there's not a lot of Dustin Bufflins out there riding their motorcycle into the bar. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't happen like that anymore because of the social media age. But more than anything, I think just players don't want the hassle of a news cycle and having to deal with that shit. And I wonder if that's like, uh, if they we've come, changed the society has changed more than the players have is what i'm saying okay and, and i wonder if they come to that conclusion based on it, whether it is something they realize or like they're all their agents have realized it and oh they're, they're all programs yeah no yeah. they all have media coaching and all that stuff absolutely well yeah and that's interesting that you brought up shaw because he was somebody who came you know he was not a heralded draft pick at all he was kind of this prospect that snuck through and ended up being a pretty important piece to those teams so for somebody like that is that something did he come in you're saying you know like he had this awareness about him do you feel like that's something he learned over time or he came in and all these kids know this stuff now uh there is some sense that these kids come in and even if you're not a superstar you have like like the blackhawks have media coaching every year they tell them what not to say and things like that uh with a guy like shaw he's probably less polished because he like Connor Bedard has been doing interviews since he was like, you know, a zygote. Like he, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's never going to say the wrong thing, which frankly 
you know, it's kind of boring, but he's always going to say the right thing. And he's, he's very good at it. Um, but someone like Shaw who comes up and he's like, a, you know, twice undrafted and, you know, came up through the minors real quick and got there with a chip on his shoulder. That was kind of his whole thing is he was a little looser early on and he got a little tighter as he became a bigger star. I think as he realized, you know, some of this stuff I should probably not be saying. Well, it's fine. even I know everybody kind of freaked out because, you know, Marcel Marcel was talking about he was in the bathroom when he was drafted. Like that was such oh a my funny God. little I, I, I wasn't there for that. I was on vacation and I was almost embarrassed seeing people say, this is the funniest man that's ever lived. This is George Carlin <laughs> and Richard Pryor combined. It's like, all right, he's a, he was a little loose up there because he was just let, let's 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 dial. Oh, my God. You would have thought he did like a 20 minute stand up routine up there. But I think he was funny. Anybody, he was good. Yeah, he was loose and funny. That's like yeah. that should be normal. Like I wish that were normal. Like this is just a guy. Like he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a hockey player. He's a guy talking. Like why does it, like it just? It, I I wish there was more of that. And I wish we didn't just like do backflips every time someone said something remotely interesting. Because uh, <laughs> it's like all right, like let's 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 calm down a bit. Do you feel like players are more open at the All Star game? Um, those players tend to be a little more established and a little looser and they know a lot of the media. Like if you see like a Steven Stamkos, like he's probably talked to you before if you're covering the all-star game, you know? So I, I love all-star access because the guys are a little looser just cause it's not a, it's not like a tense game day environment. I'll tell you what's great is the, that we, we always call it the player car wash at the beginning of the year where they, the, the, the media tour where it's like, a, it's like a movie junket where, you know, you sit down in a room and they just bring in guys like 20 guys you know, uh, over the course of a day, like that's in like early September. So nobody's tense. Everyone's loose and you're still not getting like, you know, nobody's out there like talking shit, but they tend to be a little looser, a little more open. Like I'm not looking for, for guys to trash talk other players. I'm not looking for controversy. I'm looking for honesty, right? Like, like one of my favorite players to cover ever was Brian Bickle. Brian Bickle was a shitty quote. Like he was <laughs> not like saying like, like these, like these great things, but he was, the most emotionally honest hockey player I've ever covered. He was like a real human with real feelings. And he would tell you what those feelings were when he was going through, you know, what the, they, we were calling it vertigo at the time, I think, before we realized it was MS. Like he yeah. was deeply worried about his career and fate like that. And he was fantastic because he just told you what he felt. And that's what we want as writers. We don't want you to like, we're not looking for a tweet. Honest to God, I swear to Christ, I am not <laughs> looking for a tweet. The last thing I need is another viral tweet. I am looking for someone to tell me the truth and having an, 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 an especially emotional truth. Like that's the hardest thing to get out of a pro athlete because, you know, they're taught from day one. Like you don't show vulnerability, you don't show weakness, all that stuff. But when they do, it's like profound and it's momentous and it's a big deal. And that's what we're always searching for. So the looser you are with a player, the more he trusts you, the more you're going to get that kind of to that kind of truth. Um, but it's hard and it's harder than ever in this age. You know, these guys are more in touch with their, you know, sensitive sides for lack of a better word, because they do have, you know, mental skills coaches and their own therapists. And they are a little more forward thinking in a lot of ways, not everybody, obviously, but they don't tell me that they don't tell <laughs> other writers that because you're not supposed to. But, oh. uh, you, when you get that, that's when you feel like you've really, you've earned something because a player trusted you to tell his story. That's always a big deal. I think the point you made earlier about how like it's not necessarily the players that have changed or the teams that have changed. It's the society around them that has changed. And I feel like all of pro sports is so 
and the only word I can use to describe it, it's very corporate these days. Part of that is because there's millions and maybe even billions of dollars involved in these industries now. And I feel like, you know, the Blackhawks feel very corporate these days. And uh, I it's I, I understand why they're doing it, but I also hate it at the same time because uh, it just seems like it 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 sucks the emotion and the soul and all the fun out of, you know, out of, out of everything from from being a fan. Like, it just feels very like. Um, everything is just to give you like just as much, uh, just a, a baseline level of entertainment without, to, without going, uh, anything that might ruffle any feathers. It's like they're turning every professional stadium into the equivalent of a B-dubs. So if, if there's the way all these like corporate interests are, are taking over sports and, and not just hockey, it's everywhere. Like, do, do you see this too? And, and, and how do you feel about it? Cause you're, you're in the room as they say. So this is what I like about you. This is why you're one of my favorite writers when we were at the Post Tribune together. Uh, corporate is the word I use probably more than anything else to describe what the Blackhawks in particular and the NHL at large is. It is it's the perfect word to describe it, where everything is a carefully curated, you know, precisely, you know, choreographed show. And everything is so corporate. Everything's so buttoned down. And it's so hard to get to that emotional honesty I'm talking about in a corporate setting. And that's not like one team doing this. This isn't like a Blackhawks thing. This is a pro sports thing in general, but particularly in the NHL, where everything is milk toast and vanilla because everything is following corporate. And the Blackhawks, they probably did lead the way. That was a very John McDonough thing, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to wear a hat in all your interviews. You have to address the interviewer by name. You have to always have a shirt on. Like it was always like you have to stand at your locker. You can't sit, which is ridiculous. You just skated for like an hour and a half. Sit down. Uh, so <laughs> th- th- there's a lot of that. And John McDonough probably does have something to do with it. But I understand why they do it. It works, right? It sells. It's really good for at NHL Blackhawks on Twitter to have these guys towing the line and saying all the right things. And, you know, look at our guys. They're so wholesome and great. And uh, it makes sense, but it's really boring, right? It's really boring as a writer and it's, it's boring as a fan. It's, you know, you want to have personalities to root for. You think back on the history of the game of any sport and it's the big personalities that stand out. It's not just the best players, you know, and it's, 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 it's a shame that we're, it, it's getting harder and harder for players to show that personality. I mean, think of a guy like PK Subban who really wasn't that outlandish or, you know, uh, flamboyant, whatever the word you want to use is. He just stuck out because, Oh my God, he's a hockey player saying things and he happens to be black. Oh no. Like, and him so, sitting next to Chelios and Messier on the ESPN panel was like, oh, if you want to make him look, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the total opposite personalities. Subban on TNT would be great yeah, because he would fit in in that more relaxed vibe. Subban on ESPN, he sticks out because he's out there trying to have a good time and nobody else is. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's tough. And, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't imagine we'll ever get back to that. Yeah. You know, if Twitter dies tomorrow, it's not going to change. Uh, we'll have threads and we'll have blue sky and we'll have Mastodon. We'll have posts. There'll be somewhere else for guys to get themselves in trouble and not want to be interesting. So I just, I don't know. I don't think we're ever kind of putting that, uh, that genie back in the bottle. I think this is what pro sports are. This is what pro sports are going to be. And I think that makes for journalists, it's, it makes our job harder, but it makes our job that much more. I don't ever want to say important. We're infotainers. Nothing we do is important, but well, some of it, but not most of it is not, but it makes our jobs more, you know, compelling to the reader. Like we're working to find those true stories that you can't get 
through in you know internal media is how they call you know the team. You go to a Florida Panthers game, and I was once in a scrum. It's Joel Quenville's first game against the Blackhawks. I went down there like a month earlier, and there were like 19 people in the scrum. It was me. It was George Richards. It was one local TV guy, and it was 16 Florida Panthers employees all asking questions for the website, for social media, yada, yada, yada. That's internal media. And every team wants their internal media to replace us. Like they would, in their perfect world, we don't exist, and they control every bit of a message. It's state-run TV, right? And a lot of them do a really good job. Like they're out there, and they're putting in the work, and they're traveling and all that. But what they do, again, is different than what I do. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just – that's what they want. They want that sanitized, homogenized, you know, wholesome content. Hashtag content. My least favorite <laughs> word in the world is content. Uh, they don't want stories. They want content. And it's it's getting tougher and tougher. So what we do is is more valuable than ever in some ways because 30 years ago, there were a million places you could go to get these things. Every newspaper guy had some kind of angle, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there's a trillion podcasts out there and a million websites and we're all writing the same thing because everything's off a fucking press conference, right? <laughs> like you, there's no original content. Uh-huh. So it, it's getting harder and harder to mine that original content, which makes our jobs more difficult and, you know, more valuable in a lot of ways. And I don't know if you, uh, if, if there's a good way to quantify this, but do you find that the public is more interested in content or if they're more interested in stories oh this is the saddest question you can answer me I, um, well, no because i because i think I, I i have my own personal very cynical look, view on I, this. i'll say this i i you know i hate a list honest to god i hate a list i hate lists i hate listicles i hate chunky stuff i like writing stories i like writing narratives that said i've written like a however many thousands of stories i've written at the athletic in the last five years my two most read stories, most read, are the two times I ranked the re- retro reverse jerseys. <laughs> like, how uh, depressing is that? Uh, like, I had fun with that, and it was fun, and it's great. But, you know, there's there's a little bit of and, – and that's that's the internet for you, right? Because that's going to do well in Google. You're going to get the SEO hits. You're going to yeah. get the Twitter hits. It's people – it's funny. Or you, people are light, so more people want to read it because it's just silly, and it doesn't take a lot of work to read it. And it doesn't take a lot of work to write it. I can promise you that. So, you know – I, I think one way you have to look at it in this age where that where that stuff sells is and I think like the number three is like, you know, the first Kyle Beach story we wrote. So, I mean, it's not like people yeah. don't read the important stuff, too. I don't mean to imply that, but there's a way to get clicks that doesn't require a lot of work and it works. But for me, like there's a little bit of a, you know, you ever hear like, you know, the one for me, one for you that, that, that like movie directors do or it's like, all right, I'll do this Marvel blockbuster because it'll let me to do three indie films that I want to do. Like, yes. It'll pay for those. Yeah. Like there's a little bit of that where it's like, this is a story I really want to tell. And I don't know if it's going to do well or not. I put a, I'm going to put a lot of time and effort to it. It might involve travel. So it might be expensive. And this is a great story and I want to tell it right. And then you tell it and you're really happy with it. And then nobody reads it. It happens. Sometimes they blow up, but sometimes nobody reads it. And it's just devastating as a writer when you put that much effort into something and it doesn't do well. And it somehow makes it worse when then you, the next day you write some bullshit thing and it blows up. Like it's almost like a worse thing, but you have to, you have to kind of like, you have to kind of take it all encompassingly. You have to look at it that way where it's like a, a whole body of work and you can't get bogged down in this individual story didn't get a lot of reads and didn't sell a lot of subscriptions and you have to kind of get past that and know like it's the total body of work like over the course of a year i'm gonna write a ton of good stories and a ton of mediocre stories and hopefully no bad stories and the totality of that work 
will be what sells and what gets the eyeballs. Because if you start like breaking it down to the nitty gritty about what stories do really well and which ones don't, it's it can be depressing because I hate content and I love stories. Like I want to read like a Dan Robeson story. I want to read a Katie Strang investigation. I don't want to read lists, but people love lists. Lists sell. Lists are good business. And so every now and then, you know what? I'm going to write a fucking list. And that's just the way it's going to be. So I think that's just modern journalism is you have to, you know, you have to play the game to some degree. But one of the beautiful things about working at The Athletic is they value the long stories. They value the the deep dives. They value – it doesn't have to be like long in length, but like the, they, they value the stories that require the work. And there's plenty on the site that's going to pay the bills if my story doesn't pan out, but they take a lot of pride in the really good work too. And, you know, shit, the, some of the lists we do are incredible. Like the, the research that goes into them, you know, some of the analytics that go into them, like like someone like Harmon Dial in Vancouver, where he can just come up with like 10 under the radar free agents. Like his knowledge of the league is so incredible and he's so good at making those lists. And they're they're like they're not like half assed like a list that I do would do. Like they're really well reported. They're well written. They're interesting. They're compelling. Like I can't do that. That is not something I, that is not in my skill set. So thank God we have people like Harmon and Shana and Dom who can tell some of these stories that so many of us can't. And, you know, ideally we all complement each other, right? Because those people also can write really good stories too. Uh, they're, they're very talented writers who happen to base a lot of their work in the numbers. So like, mm-hmm. like those pe- people like that, they, they're, they're coming for me, man, because they can do it all. I can't do, I, I have a very specific skill set. So, um, if, 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 if at any point people stop valuing what I bring, then I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Cause I don't have any other skills. <laughs> well, following up on that and kind of writing in large, do you, when you write a story, when you write a piece and whether that's a list or a long form, do you have somebody in mind that you're writing to? Are you writing like for yourself, for somebody else, do you have something in your head that you're kind of aiming for, or you're just out there getting the information over as best you can? I'm really glad you said it because I'm going to say it and it sounds a little less douchey now. I'm writing for me. Like I'm, I, I, at this stage of my career, I've written however millions and millions of words, literally millions of words. Um, and like I said earlier, like it doesn't do it for me, right? Breaking down the second unit power play anymore. Like that just doesn't, that's not what I want to do. So I, I'm writing stories that I would want to read as a hockey fan. Like that's where I'm at now as a writer. And as a, I, I still, I'm not a fan of a team, but I'm a fan of the game. And so I, I still devour other people's stories. And like, for me, a really good story idea is something that I'm going to be excited about writing because I'm going to be excited about learning about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I I use this story as an example a lot when I talk to like you know students or other writers and like that. Like, it's one of the dumbest stories I've ever written, but it was fascinating to me. Something I always wanted to write and something that players were excited to talk to me about because nobody had ever asked them about it before. Like that's I'm looking for a story that nobody's ever written before. So one of my favorite stories I've ever done was about how hockey players have to change their clothes like ten times a day. Like literally 10, 12 times a day on a game day, they had to change their clothes. Like, you know, you get up, you go down for, you have to change to put on for breakfast. You go up to the hotel, you got to put your suit on to walk across the parking lot to go to Nassau Coliseum. You get to the rink, you got to take off those clothes and put on your warm up clothes. You do your warm up, you got to take off those clothes and put on your hockey gear. You take that off, you go take a shower, you got to put on your suit again to walk back across. Then you take it off because you got to go to lunch. And then you take that off because you got to go take your nap. And then you take that off because you go back to dinner and you take that off to go with your suit again. Like it's the <laughs> stupidest thing in the world. Like, like uh, I, I thought of it because I was in a, I was at that at, at the at Nassau Coliseum at the Long Island uh, Marriott, and I got into the elevator at the same time as Taze mm-hmm. and a bunch of other Blackhawks, and they're wearing suits to literally walk across a parking lot because the, the oh. hotel's right there. And I asked Taze in the locker in, in the elevator, I'm like, "Why do you have to put on a suit?" He goes, 
I don't fucking know. And, <laughs> and a story idea was born, right? And every player I talked to for that story was so excited to talk about it. Like somebody finally understood the plight that they have to go through with this. So like, like nobody, like sometimes you ask and I ask a lot of weird questions of athletes and sometimes you get a lot of strange looks. I got no strange looks. Like they wanted to talk about it. Connor Murphy's like, I shower four times a day. Do you have any idea how dry my skin is? Like they were like, they wanted to talk about this stuff. And one, one former player texted me after the story came out. He's like, he's like, the day I retired, I woke up the next morning, put on my clothes, and I had this thought, I'm going to wear these clothes the rest of the day. And he was so excited by that fact. So, like, that's the shit. Like, that is a stupid, useless, pointless story that helps nobody, that has no good messages, that doesn't further any discussion. It's just funny, and it's fascinating to me. And that's like the exact, like, that's the story I'm always looking to write is just something that nobody's written before. Right. So for me as a hockey fan, if I'm interested in a story idea, I won't be going through the motions. It'll be a good story because I'm going to care. I'm going to be excited about it. So I am writing for myself at this point. I'm trying to think, what would I want to read as a hockey fan? What would, what would surprise me in the morning to read about? And then I'd be talking about it all day and telling all my friends to read the story. That's the story I'm like, I want to go viral for that kind of story. Not because I tweeted out a quote. That was a funny joke. Like that's what I'm looking for. And maybe, maybe two or three times a year, you really do it. You really nail it. But when you do, it's the fucking best, man. <laughs> that one was great. And I, I love the, the what language do you think in too? I had never oh, thought about that. Yeah. I thought about that and for that years before I finally had cool the balls question. to ask a player about it. I remember it's, having a conversation with a foreign exchange student in high school about what language she dreamed in. And I think it was both, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, it's it, it's wild. Like, like I, I've been learning Spanish like since like seventh grade, and like a, like a few years ago, I, I kind of like went back to it, and I was like, you know, really going hardcore on it. And, like, you give me any Spanish now, and I can read it, but the second someone starts talking to me, it's just over. Like, I can't keep up, right? So I, I'm always amazed that these guys can come over and not only understand English, but speak English and speak English in front of a camera. Like the the guts and the the intelligence it takes to do that to stand in front of a camera and and speak on live TV basically in another language like that's I've always been amazed by language so like I think it was Oli Mata I finally asked about it where I said like like you you grew up learning both languages like what what language do, when you're on the ice like like in general what language do you think in and he's like on the ice I think in English. The rest of my time, I think, and finished, and like my brain melted. Like, I like how, how does how does that even work? Like, it was like, amazing to me. So, I, yeah, yeah, I love stories like that. Yes, hundred percent. So, uh, Mark, you've been very gracious with your time, so we don't keep you too much longer. But um, I, I I don't know if you're aware. I don't know how much you listen to our podcast. Um, but we we've been. I don't calling... listen to any hockey podcasts. <laughs> okay, any. good. That's good. Any. That's I, I listen to like the Ringer movie and TV podcast. That's most people escape from their job with sports. I do the other thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so don't so, take offense, please. <laughs> no, none, none taken at all. But just, just so you know, cause we've, uh, you know, it's 2023. So we've adopted the mentality that if you just keep saying something enough, eventually it'll become the truth. So we've been calling <laughs> ourselves the best food themed hockey podcast on the internet. Uh -oh. Um, yeah, I know bold statement, right? So, uh, as, as someone who has traveled extensively, uh, I guess you can say internationally because you go to Canada all the time. And I think you covered some Olympics. So you've I was traveled. In Sochi, yeah. Yeah. So you've traveled internationally for this job. And my initial thought was to ask you, what's the best food city you've ever been to? But I feel like that's too broad of a category. I think where I would narrow it down to is, is there a specific, like, like where, if you could pick like a city with like, this city has the best this and it's like the highest rated of all of them. 
wow. like what's what's the best maybe just the best individual food category you can get in a certain city and if you say new york city pizza i'm i'm gonna be <laughs> well it is new york city pizza but i, I don't thought, say it I, like i i should have i should have discounted that immediately because i thought you might go there <laughs> um I, you know, one of my favorite things about this job is I've got a spot in like 30 different cities, right? Like that's, I yeah, love it. When, that's awesome. You know, like, like, and the beauty of it is it's like, I'm in Edmonton maybe once, maybe twice a year. So I can go to the same place every time I'm in town because it's not like I'm getting sick of it. Right. Like yeah. I can just, so f- my favorite dinner in the city is Bistro Praha in Edmonton. It's a Czech restaurant. Um, I love goulash. It's okay. one of my absolute favorite foods. And it's just like simple, straightforward, literal meat and potatoes cooking. Because I eat like a five-year-old. I'm not the right person to have on a food podcast. Um, but it is like authentic. Like when you go there, like the first time I remember Tracy Myers discovered it. Uh, she had just been to uh, to Prague the previous year and she was looking for a place. And we walked in, me, her, and Chris Cook. And Michael Roosevelt was in there. Marion Hosa was in there. <laughs> like every single Czech and Slovak person in on the staff or on the team was in there. We're like, oh, shit, this is going to be good. And let me tell you, it's amazing. Um <laughs> I've also got like a sandwich shop in it. Like, you know, I, where, where am I going to go after the morning skate? Um, I, I'm, I, I love the guys at Hobby's Deli in Newark. Um, okay. Just because I, I love a good Jewish deli. I love a pastrami sandwich. But if you're looking for something a little more exotic, it would probably be um, uh, Sam LaGrasse's in Boston. Uh, amazing sandwich shop. Uh, they're only open like three hours a day because they're so, they sell so many sandwiches in those three hours that that's all they need to do. So you have to get there for lunch or you don't get there at all. Um, it's just incredible sandwich. And I'm a big, like, like there's no food that can't be made better by being between two pieces of really good bread. So mm. I'm a big sandwich guy. So probably San Grasse is in Boston, Bistro okay. Praha in, um, uh, Edmonton. I mean, there's a million, there's Osteria Marco in Denver. There's Manjamo on Manhattan beach. I mean, it's like one of my favorite things about the job is I got a place in every city. Like there's no city in the NHL that I'm not excited to go to. Like what I, you know, people like, oh God, you gotta go to Newark. Yeah, I get to go to hobbies. You kidding me? It's awesome. <laughs> I've got to go to Edmonton. You kidding me? I'm gonna get some goulot. I'm gonna get it for lunch and dinner. Fuck you. It's awesome. <laughs> I kind of do the same thing when I travel, and I'm always worried though that by going to the same spots, I might be missing new ones. I don't care. Do you, I you don't, don't care. care. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Like I, 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 again, I am not an adventurous eater. I don't like. I don't try a lot of new things. Like I probably didn't even have green vegetables until I was on the company dime at some of these restaurants. And like Cook and Tracy would force me to eat vegetables. Um, it's, uh, it's. I don't care. I, I don't care what I'm missing out on because if I go somewhere else in Edmonton, I'm missing out on Bistro Praha, and I'm only there once or twice a year. So if it was like in you know Northwest Indiana or Chicago, and I was going to the same place for every meal, yeah, okay, we could have that conversation. But no, I'm not missing out on anything because otherwise I'd be missing out on Sam LaGrasse's. Yeah. So this this might be a, a bit of a leading question. I might be leading the witness here, Your Honor. But um, I, I think I've seen you mention this on Twitter. Of all the barbecue places you've been to, what's the best one? Oh, um, that place in Dallas that is very famous. Okay. I can't remember his name. Was very good. Uh, you know what I'm partial to, and it, it's going to be a it's it, it's it's a it's it's the it's a cliche answer because it's on Broadway in Nashville, but Jack's their smoked turkey is one of my favorite things in the world. And okay. you know, you, don't people sleep on smoked turkey? Like I love getting the pulled pork, I love getting the brisket, all that ribs, whatever. But there's something about the the smoked turkey at Jack's that I just like. Right now, I'm hungry thinking about it. <laughs> well, because there's uh there's a place I believe I've seen you mention on Twitter before that's 
very close to your uh, home. That's, oh, Bombers in uh, yeah, Munster, Indiana. Go. Yeah, no, yeah. that's the, that. I will hold up Bombers to or Big Daddies and Gary. Honestly, yes, I will. I absolutely. will hold either of those up against. You know, I'm in a lot of hot uh, barbecue hotbeds, and you know the shit that they put on the, the barbecue sauce, that vinegar stuff in. Or the uh, the white sauce in Alabama, like no, give me give me give me big daddies or give me bombers any day. I'll hold them up against anybody. All right, good. That that's that's for all our, all three of our Northwest Indiana followers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, I I don't think I have any other questions for you, Eric. Did you have anything else for Mark? I have one. If I'm allowed to do one throwback, no. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why should you never talk to Corey Crawford on game days? Well, he won't let you. Oh, is that all it was? I, yeah, I no, saw like, something like, it sounded ominous once. No, I like, no. I, if I ever get the chance, I get most, it. Most goalies these days don't talk on game days. It's really, it's, it's like, it's a really stupid thing, but it's become like a, a, a rule of thumb in the NHL. No, God. Um, they don't, it's just an excuse for them not to talk. Basically, they don't, they don't talk after morning skates on game days. Cause I don't know, nine hours before the game, they got to be in game mode. I don't know. It's so stupid. Um, that's why I love, well, Auntie Ranta is my favorite player I've ever covered. I remember one time I went up to him when he was a rookie. And I said, hey, I know you're starting today. Is it okay if I talk to you? He goes, why the fuck wouldn't it be? I was like, God bless you, young man. <laughs> you know, Crawford, he did talk after morning skates in Montreal. It's the only place he did it because there was such a crush of people as a hometown guy. That's the only place every year he would talk. But that's the norm. Like most goalies don't talk on game days. Wow. Well, again. it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We got all the way through this without a single Russ Radke reference. I don't know how. <laughs> you just made it. Did yeah, I know. I had to do it. Um, I defy anyone to listen to me talk. I listen to all my podcasts at one point five speed. I defy anyone to listen to me at one point five speed. Oh, uh, that's yeah. I don't think that's going to be possible. But uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks again for your time, and we look forward to reading a ton of your stuff. And uh, hopefully, there's a lot more interesting Blackhawks hockey coming up for all of us. It, that, it can't be any less, right? Yes, absolutely. Thanks again, Mark. Yep. Yeah.